only a few companies in the world have ever been valued at a trillion dollars. Companies like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. And this week, the club got another member. NVIDIA. 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 NVIDIA's market value now approaching a trillion dollars after a blockbuster. NVIDIA may not be a household name, but it makes something that a lot of people want right now. Chips. But there are lots of chips, right? There's potato chips, and there's like the TV show chips. <laughs> what kind of chip are you talking about? We're not talking about potato chips. We are not talking, this is not Lay's. <laughs> These are semiconductors. Our colleague Asa Fitch covers the world of computer chips. And he says NVIDIA's rise is being propelled by the current boom in artificial intelligence. NVIDIA showed that all the excitement about AI, of course, it's, there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of hype around it, but people are really spending money on it. And they can't do it without these kinds of chips. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, June 1st. Coming up on the show, how NVIDIA became one of the world's most valuable companies. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. The central character in NVIDIA's story is a man named Jensen Huang. He was born in Taiwan and came to the U.S. with his family at the age of nine. He studied electrical engineering in college and was an avid gamer. Jensen is a colorful CEO within the chip industry. You know, he's, he wears a leather jacket when he does public presentations. He's, I mean, he's 60 years old now, but he's, he tries to be, you know, youthful and cool. And a lot of people think he is cool, quite frankly. And, like, how did he come up with the idea for NVIDIA? Basically, um, he got together with a couple uh, fellow engineers back in 1993 at a Denny's in San Jose. Where all great things start. Exactly. And you have to remember the early 90s, the PC boom was in swing, but... You know, it's not like every household had a computer at that point. And these guys were interested in computer graphics, which was something that was a little bit futuristic at that point. I mean, it wasn't sort of a major, major focus for the PC industry. And they decided, look, we want to try to make computer graphics better. And over the ensuing few years, that coalesced around producing chips. And they were developed for video gamers, people who are playing, you know, Doom and Quake, Call of Duty, things like that. Games where you want great graphics, you want the images to be fast moving and smooth. That's what these 
these chips were originally made to do. And did it work? It worked. NVIDIA became a powerhouse in that arena. It attracted, you know, legions of followers, of fans, of people who were just dedicated to the company and its products and and loved what it was producing. You might have heard of CPUs, central processing units, essentially the brains of a computer. But NVIDIA made a kind of chip called a GPU, or a graphics processing unit. Gamers could plug these chips into their PCs for a better gaming experience. These days, chips like this are usually built into our computers. And NVIDIA's GPUs made them a giant in the gaming industry. By the 2000s, the company was designing chips for Xbox and PlayStation consoles. But Huang wanted more. NVIDIA under Jensen Huang has tried for years and years and years to broaden its horizons. And, you know, at some point it must have become clear that to expand the horizons they need to do other things. NVIDIA's chips were good at performing all kinds of complex tasks for all kinds of industries, from robotics to bioengineering. And then the crypto world latched on. So if you were mining Bitcoin and Bitcoin prices were at a certain level, it's like free money. You know, you just go and buy a bunch of NVIDIA GPUs, set them up in a in a warehouse somewhere, and you, you turn them on and, you know, you're making money. As long as the price of Bitcoin is high enough, then you're good. But then, around this time last year... A crypto winter in May is what we're experiencing right now. Crypto's market value has halved since its peak late last year, hemorrhaging and eye-watering $2.2 trillion. Volumes are down. Excitement is down. The thing about the crypto market is it's extremely or has been extremely volatile. And when the prices go down, it doesn't make sense to mine crypto anymore. The crypto winter hit NVIDIA really hard. In the second quarter of last year, the company's shares lost nearly half their value. And so you had a situation when the crypto winter hit where people just suddenly didn't want these GPUs anymore. Not only they didn't need them, but they didn't want them. So people were trying to offload them and it really skewed the market and it was very much not a good thing for NVIDIA's sales. But that wasn't the company's only challenge. Last year, tensions between the U.S. and China spilled over into the chip industry. President Biden announced the U.S. would restrict exports to China of the most powerful chips, like NVIDIA's. These restrictions were designed to cut off China's supply of the most advanced semiconductors. And NVIDIA was worried, because China accounted for a quarter of its sales at the time. And what kind of financial cost did that have on the company? It had a big one. NVIDIA said last year that they were looking at an impact of about $400 million quarterly because of this, this move. So it's, it's not a drop in the bucket. So in the fall of last year, NVIDIA was in a difficult position. The company was challenged in, in many different ways. They were facing market uh, pressures they were facing, you know, the threat of export restrictions. They're facing a lot of problems. 
But the company's luck would change because of a bet that Huang had made years ago on AI. That's next. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Years ago, when Jensen Huang saw the potential of AI, he leaned in hard. He spoke about it on CNBC in March. You know, we changed the company from the bottom all the way to the top and sideways. Every chip that we made um, was focused on artificial intelligence. Uh, we, uh, Huang went on to talk about the part NVIDIA played in helping OpenAI develop its chatbot sensation, ChatGPT. And I, I remember delivering my very first AI supercomputer. I hand-delivered it myself. I delivered it to OpenAI. ChatGPT was built with NVIDIA's chips. Uh, according to one estimate, the initial version of ChatGPT t- required 10,000 NVIDIA chips. And these, these are not cheap chips either. You know, you think about, um, you know, PC costs, maybe a thousand bucks or something like that. You know, a server with numerous advanced NVIDIA chips in it could easily cost upwards of $100,000, $200,000 even. What did the success of ChatGPT mean for NVIDIA? It was basically a gold rush. Now, Huang says everyone wants NVIDIA's chips. The demand is literally from every corner of the world. So if you want to do AI, NVIDIA has like the biggest toolbox in the world to do AI with. So NVIDIA's chips are really the only options right now. Having seen ChatGPT's success, other large tech companies have accelerated their own AI technology. And for that, they'll need lots of chips. Anybody who's interested in capitalizing on the AI boom and the generative AI wave, so to speak, is, is like, you know, desperate for these chips. There's a lot of money at stake if you can make this work for you. So you have these big companies like Microsoft, like Google itself, trying to defend its own turf to some extent. These guys are driving a lot of the investment because they have really deep pockets. Is NVIDIA in a place to fulfill this demand? Quite frankly, not entirely. The company doesn't have its own factories. It doesn't actually make chips itself. It designs the chips, and then it sends those circuit blueprints to outsourced manufacturers to actually physically make them. NVIDIA relies on other companies to produce its chips. The largest of them is based in Taiwan. And with demand skyrocketing, chip supplies are running low. They're 
rushing to get in as many orders as they can. They've done that. They've they said in their earnings call last week that they've secured more supplies for the second half of the year. At the same time, currently, if you want to get um, a large number of NVIDIA GPUs, good luck because you really kind of can't. You know, I mean, it's it's going to take some time, according to people who we've talked to who've been trying to get them. So, last week at the Wall Street Journal's CEO Council Summit, Elon Musk talked about how hard it is to get chips. GPUs are, um, at this point, considerably harder to get than drugs. The shortage of chips is expected to bleed into next year, and NVIDIA's rivals are trying to get into the lucrative market. There's a litany of competitors, actually, even startups that you've probably never heard of that are developing AI chips. And the gold rush that NVIDIA is having right now is probably only going to encourage the competition to to invest more, to do more, because you know it's clear now that the profits are there if you can do it. While NVIDIA struggles to meet demand in the U.S., it still has to navigate the export restrictions that prevent it from selling its most powerful chips to China. The company ended up making a version of its chips that fell below the thresholds specified by the U.S. government under which they would have needed a license to export them to China. But the Chinese market has been somewhat closed off to NVIDIA because of this U.S. action last year. But the AI boom could help lift NVIDIA beyond those challenges. Last week, the company projected demand for its newest AI chips will boost sales this quarter to $11 billion. That's compared with about $7 billion last quarter. After that announcement, NVIDIA's stock price soared. It gained as much value as Netflix is worth. The largest one-day increase in a company's value ever. And this pushed the company past the trillion-dollar valuation. And what does this say about the role of chips in, like, the global economy and global society and life? In the world these days, chips matter. The point is, chips have become a, a chip, if you will, in the, the political world. People have realized in Washington, in Beijing, in countries all over the world, that if you have the world's best chips, you have power. Do you think this is more a story about the potential of AI or the role of chips in the world today? To some extent, obviously, it's about both. Even though that NVIDIA is doing so well, we fundamentally still don't know whether... AI is going to be a a super important facet of our daily lives yet. People are clearly investing a lot of money in this stuff, and they're buying lots of NVIDIA chips. But I can't name a single company today that's, you know, has like dozens of billions of dollars a year in revenues from like AI, some sort of AI technology. But what about chips? Yeah, I mean, I think that's more clear at this stage. You know, chips are being used as a geopolitical tool and they're being understood more and more in a national security context. And that's only going to continue to get more pronounced. It's a statement of the basic fact that chips and computation are essential in in modern life and are only going to be more essential in the future. 
that's all for today, Thursday, June 1st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.